Good morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me? We're in Ecclesiastes. We're in uh, the end of chapter 9. We're going to go through uh, chapter 10. If you weren't here with us last week, um, uh, in short, the, the preacher told us that all of us will die, um, that time and chance uh, will get every single person. But the good news, he says, is that hasn't happened yet. You're still alive. God has given you this gift of life, so live it now. And ultimately, we find life in Christ. Now this week, um, he gives us tips on living. He makes a lot of comparisons. There's a lot of uh, comparing wisdom with folly. We get to choose whether we're going to live foolishly or wisely. We had a discussion as a staff this week about um, how the preacher uses wisdom and folly in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you, um, you may know this, you may not know this. Uh, in scripture, the Bible uh, tells us there are two kinds of wisdom. There's earthly wisdom, um, which is available to everybody, right? And in every profession, um, uh, there, there's wisdom, right? There, there's wise things you can do as a teacher. You, you can look at a teacher and go, oh, they have wisdom. They know how to deal with this type of student. They know how to deal with uh, how to help uh, this kid that, that's, that's flourishing way faster than the rest of the kids. They know how to uh, handle parents, how to work with a principal and other staff, right? There's, there's wisdom in that area. There's wisdom in uh, working as a nurse. There's wisdom in working in sales. There's even wisdom, remember, we're talking earthly wisdom, even in professions that are not above reproach, right? So uh, people that break the law, criminal activity, there's, there's wisdom that can be had in what they do. I don't know it, but a mob boss, like he got there because he had not only some brawn and some weapons, but some wisdom and in doing what he does. So earthly wisdom doesn't mean that it's, uh, it's godly. It doesn't mean it's good. Sometimes it can be. And then scripture tells us there's heavenly wisdom. There's wisdom from uh, above, from God. And in the passage that Sherry read earlier, it's, it's in Jesus that we have this wisdom if we know Christ. So in Ecclesiastes, as the preacher's going, it's kind of hard to tell. Like when he's talking earthly, when he's talking heavenly wisdom, I think sometimes he's weaving in and out and, and not, not really letting us know. Now sometimes he says the phrase under the sun. We've heard that a lot in this book. And, and that just means um, what, what we can observe in this life, uh, right? Life under the sun. This isn't the heavenly perspective. This is below the sun figuring things out, what we can see. So sometimes that's earthly wisdom, but sometimes he's got God in there too. Um, Bible read-through, friends. If you're doing the Bible read-through with me, we just wrapped up Job. And Job can feel a lot like this. When, when Job or one of the friends talks, sometimes uh, they're talking, and you're like, yes, that is truth right there. And then they say something else, and you're like, I think that's true. And then they say something else, like, nope, that one is not true. And, and they kind of weave out, in and out, and the, the lines are, are kind of blurred, and, and, and it feels that way a bit in Ecclesiastes, especially as he talks about wisdom. But the wisdom books, ultimately, they point beyond themselves, right? They point to the rest of Scripture, and we, we see that Christ is our wisdom, the, the wisdom from heaven. This is where we find heavenly wisdom. And, and if Jesus is your Savior... You're united with Christ. There's this union between the Christ follower and Christ himself. And, and the wisdom of God is in us. Um, uh, last spring, uh, my family and I decided to go on a hike. We heard about this place called 
uh, Falls Creek Falls, I think we have a picture of it even. Um, Falls Creek Falls um, is a beautiful, beautiful hike. It ends in that. It doesn't look nearly as good in the, in the picture as it does in, in real life, but the hike's really cool. Uh, even, even if you have kids, like I think it's a fairly kid-friendly hike, um, you, you get to hike right along the creek, so you do need to keep your kids like away from the edge so they don't fall in the creek, but um, as long as you're watching them, it's a beautiful hike. It's not that hard. So we're, we've been a family of six now for, uh, for three years. We can't take my little truck anymore uh, to, to drive somewhere to a hike. So we had to take the minivan. And um, the minivan, uh, it seemed like it was going to be fine. It was a gravel road. We expected that. Um, and uh, in parts, it's basically just a little one-lane road, right? Like you, sometimes you had to pull over just so the other person could get by, and then sometimes it would widen out for you. Um, and then every once in a while, there would be a, a pothole. And that's kind of fun to have to dodge the pothole, and I move real quick, and the kids think it's super fun. Um, but then after a while, it wasn't just like a, a pothole or two to dodge. It was like every stinking place is a pothole. It felt like that game where you're navigating a ball through a maze, and every once in a while there's like holes in it so it can drop through, and, and you're going as slow as you can. So I'm navigating this, and, and, and it's brutal. You cannot avoid every pothole. I'm just thinking about like my suspension and my ruin in it. Um, the road, that road is, is, I think, a good metaphor for this passage today as the preacher talks to us about wisdom, about its benefits and about its limitations in uh, navigating this broken world successfully. Our truth statement today is uh, wisdom, even though it's limited, helps us navigate life in a broken and unpredictable world. So wisdom, though limited, helps us navigate life in a broken and unpredictable world. And I think uh, sometimes life feels like the road with potholes that we're trying to navigate. Yes, there are times when it is, it is smooth. There are times when there's only a pothole or two, and you just have to slow down a little bit. But then there are times when, man, it's, it's barely even a road. It's just potholes everywhere, and you've got to figure out how am I going to get through this. And it's one thing to drive a road with lots of potholes um, during the day, right, with the sun shining. It's another thing at night. You certainly need your headlights so that you can see. And day or night, you would not close your eyes and just hope that it works out well for you. But, but it seems sometimes that that's what some people are doing in life. Right? They're, they're foolishly just closing their eyes and going for it, choosing folly instead of wisdom. The, the preacher in the passage, he helps us see the benefits of wisdom. Yes, there's limitations in this broken world. We'll hit potholes, but, but he's helping us see the benefits. We're going to start in verse 11. Um, even though we ended our passage in 11 and 12 last week, it's really a hinge between the two passages. So he says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like a fish, or like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Life doesn't work the way it seems it should. Even though, even as you've been living for decades, when there's a twist or a turn, it still catches us off guard. 
And we might be tempted to just say, forget it. Throw our hands in the air and, and give up. Um, but the preacher, he, he doesn't encourage that. He urges us to live wisely in this world. Verse 13. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. So this poor man has wisdom to save the city, even though there's great power coming against him. There's army, there's weapons. Um, but through his wisdom, and we don't get to know what it is, and we don't know if this is a true story, if this is a parable, but through his wisdom, they're able to defeat the enemy. And the preacher's point is to demonstrate the power of wisdom, that wisdom is better than strength. He's going to tell us wisdom is better than weapons. Wisdom is better than, than authority, than riches. So if wisdom can outdo all of these things, why would we not want wisdom? continues, verse 16, he says, But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. So even though wisdom can be forgotten, right, this man saves the day and the people forget about him. Even though wisdom can be despised, ignored, rejected, Flat out, sometimes wisdom just isn't even heard when it's spoken. Wisdom is better than all the things that he's listed. Wisdom is, is better, he says, even wisdom whispered, right, in the quiet. It's better than the politician yelling like a fool at the fools around him, cheering for him. He continues on in 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom's better than all of these things he's listed. Wisdom is helpful in navigating what life throws at you. Wisdom's better than foolishness, but it just takes one sinner to destroy much good. It just takes a little bit of folly to undo what wisdom has done. The passage we're in today um, feels really unorganized. Maybe, maybe Ecclesiastes has felt like that to you in a lot of places. This is like the epitome of it, where we are today. Um, we start with a quick story, then we go into some things that are going to feel like the book of Proverbs, then, then we do all these comparisons, and then like a case study. Um, when we, uh, our preaching team meets uh, on Thursday, and we, we're, we're preparing the passage a week and a half ahead. So we, we got together, and, it, and it's just uh, brainstorming time. We're making observations, we're asking questions, we're trying to figure out um, where, where, the, where the sermon might go. Um, so we read the passage out loud, and I literally, I laughed out loud. Um, my brain could not zone in even on one thing to make a comment about, because it, it just felt all over the place, this passage. Um, I don't know if this is why the preacher wrote it this way, but I think life feels a lot like this passage. I, I think it can feel like it's just all over the place, like, like a pot fi uh, pothole-filled road. Um, that you're trying to navigate. And right in front of you, you're worried about that, and you can't even see the thing that's coming up around the corner. So buckle up. We'll, uh, we'll see how we do here. Verse 1 in chapter 10. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. 
So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. As good as wisdom is, as powerful and as helpful as it is in navigating this life, it takes very little to destroy a whole ton of good. And he's going to bring this up multiple times in this passage. Just like dead flies in ointment uh, ruin the ointment, which I doubt any of us have experienced with that, but we'll take the preacher's word there. So a little foolishness outweighs wisdom and honor. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort to make something great. It takes very little to undermine something, to destroy something. You can have, um, I'm sure we've all experienced this, uh, a great night with maybe your family or friends, or maybe it's a vacation, and you're just, everything's just going right. Everything's going even better than planned. Everyone's enjoying each other. And then one person does something. They, they say something that's just off, or or. Or, or someone loses their temper, or, or someone's trying to be funny, and, and it's not funny. It's just, it's hurtful, and, and it, it just ruins the whole thing. I bet we all know what that's like. And, and maybe you get back home, and you try and tell yourself, okay, that was bad, but the, the rest of the time was, was so good. We were laughing, enjoying each other, and, and you're trying to talk yourself into it. It wasn't that bad, but you realize it was like a stain on the whole night or the whole vacation. We can live life really wisely, but it takes just moments of foolishness to destroy what's been built, the preacher says. It can take one night of just drinking too much. It can take one moment of letting your guard down and giving in to temptation to lose what you've prudently worked for. It can take one stupid decision on a business trip. One moment of a short fuse can deplete so much the trust that you built with the people that you love. One foolish action at work can cost you your job. One sinful decision in the garden broke man's relationship with God. A little foolish living destroys a disproportionate amount of good. We see this in families and organizations. We see this in churches, right? How many churches have been derailed by even just a little gossip that starts and then infiltrates the church? Or, or we've heard of or maybe been to churches where, where someone in leadership has an affair and it just ruins. It, it, there's a stain on, on what has happened there. It, it takes just a drop of foolishness to destroy. Verse 2. He says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says to everyone that he's a fool. So the picture is here, the, the fool's walking, and I don't know if he says, I'm a fool, right, so that everyone can hear it. Even if he doesn't literally say that, his words express that he is a stinking fool. That guy's an, an idiot. Verse 4 if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an heir proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And that last verse, like in this day and age, we're kind of like, yeah, 
Stick it to the man. Make that, make that prince walk and let the slave ride on the horse. That's not where he's going here, though, okay? So what he's saying is, and we see this, we see this in, in organizations, whether it's your place of business, uh, your kid, maybe your kid's school, a place you volunteer at, a church, a parachurch ministry. We see people rise up into authority, into a place of power, that they really don't belong in. They never should have gotten there. Like maybe, maybe they knew somebody. Maybe, um, maybe they were good at their previous job and they just got promoted a little bit too high. Um, but what happens is they, there's someone that's in charge and they have no right being in charge. And you watch how they lead and it makes no sense. It's like everything is backwards. Nothing is working. And he's saying, this happens in life. You will have to deal with people like this, people in authority. Even if, you, even if you're your own boss, you own your own business, this, this happens in local government, state government, national government, like stuff happens. You've got to figure out, how do I deal with those over me? Well, let's circle back around to verse 4. If the anger of the ruler, he gives us one example here. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Right. So the, the ruler freaks out. And the preacher says, stay calm. Take a deep breath. Because what we, most of us, maybe all of us naturally do, someone freaks out at us, what do we do? We freak out back, right? And we don't just try and match what they've done. We get louder and angrier and scarier. And how does that work out, right? The preacher says, stay calm. Being calm can still this thing. Being calm can, can calm all of this down. So he, he gives us just one example of wisdom helping us when, when we have people over us that, that lead us foolishly. Verse, verses 8 and 9. He's going to talk a little bit about wisdom and falling work. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. So uh, there's a couple options how to interpret these verses here. And, and throughout the book, I mean, throughout all of the Bible, you, you've got to make interpretive decisions. Uh, sometimes I feel like, okay, yeah, I, I know it's, it's this one. This one, man, there's two options. I'm going to give them both to you, and uh, I don't know if we'll figure it out even after that. Um, so one is this is their work. This is their honest living, right? One guy digs pits for a living. Another guy breaks walls. Like he must be in demolition, construction. Um, another guy quarries stones. The last guy splits logs. So uh, as they're doing their job, stuff happens, right? The, the guy digging the pit, he doesn't see it. I don't know, there's an extra shovel there, and, and he trips over it and falls into the pit. The guy that's quarrying the stones, something, he's done this hundreds and hundreds of times, something happens this time, stone, like, bounces off and, and hits him in the face. The guy's splitting a log, he's great at what he does, and yet this time, he hits his foot with the axe. Work, no matter what the work, there's risk in it. And the, the wisdom here is be sharp. Don't, don't go through the motions, but be focused on your job so that you can do it well and, and hopefully reduce the, the accidents that happen or, or at least be ready when something does happen. That's one option. Another option is that uh, like this guy digging the pit, this guy breaking the wall, that they're up to no good. 
They're, the guy digging the pit is digging a pit so he can, uh, he, he, somebody will fall into it, right? And maybe he's going to rob them. Maybe he just wants to harm them. Maybe he wants to kill them. The guy breaking through the wall, he's breaking and entering, right? And, and, and the point here is wisdom tells us now in our work, we need to trust in the Lord. We, we, we don't, um, we, we trust in the Lord rather than dishonest gain by taking from others. And then he continues on here with work. Verse 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. So verse 10 is a picture of someone rushing out to do their job, which is, is admirable, right? This guy's probably a hard worker. The problem is, he doesn't take the time to sharpen his axe. That would, he would have to slow down for a bit. But, but if he took the time, that, that sharpening stone, that, that file, if he would just sharpen his axe, he'd be able to be way more efficient in his work. Right? Not only could he get that tree chopped down, but he could chop more trees, potentially, and earn even more money. Um, so while it's great that he's eager to go out and work The preachers say, no, use wisdom in your work. You have your aim. You know what you're trying to do. Just take some time to make sure you have the right tools, or in this case, to make sure that your tool is sharpened. Wisdom will slow us down and help us be successful. Wisdom will help us see our aim and plan, plan so that we can accomplish that aim. I know we all have goals in life. What what are you doing to accomplish those goals? Are you sharpening your tools, so to speak? How about with God? What are the goals you have with Christ? I would assume that you want to be more Christ-like. I would assume that you want to know God more through his word. What are you doing to actually make that happen? And and yes, God is working in us. Christ is sanctifying us it is a partnership, though, right? We're called to be a part of this, and maybe the split is him 99%, you 1%, or maybe it's not even close to that, but we're still called to participate in that. So if you want to grow in your prayer life, what are you doing to make that happen? If you want to have the courage to share Jesus with people, are you doing anything, or are you just hoping that somehow that's going to happen in you? Verse 11, then, is the other side of the issue. He says, what good is it to be a snake charmer if the snake bites you before you can charm it, right? So it's the opposite picture. It isn't that you're rushing into your job without the right tool. The snake charmer's sitting there. He's got his little flute thing, and he's just staring at the snake. He's not doing his job. And then the snake bites him. I suspect all of us have this at least to some degree in our life. God's given you exactly what you need to move forward, but you're just sitting there really with no good excuse. The reasons, right? Maybe it's fear, maybe it's laziness, maybe you just procrastinate. What has God given you that you are not using? He goes on to talk about wise and foolish speech. Verse 12, the words of a, uh, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his, evil, uh, of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. 
And who can tell him what will be after him? The wise man, his words went in favor, but the fool speaks and his lips consume him. And normally when I think of, of speech being destructive, I, I think of uh, it, it destroying the person that, that you're talking to, right? But here the picture is his, his speech destroys him. His speech destroy, destroys the fool. His lips somehow consume him. It's a bizarre picture that we have. At first, in 13, the, the fool's speech appears to just be foolishness, but as he keeps going, you realize it's evil. Verse 14 says the fool just, he talks and talks and talks incessantly. He talks when it isn't his turn. He talks when it is his turn. He talks about things he's already shared about. He talks so much that others don't get a chance. He talks about stuff that he knows a ton about. He talks about stuff that he knows nothing about. Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Do you talk too much? How much do you talk compared to your coworkers, your peers, your friends, your family? Or to pastors say this, if you find yourself multiplying words, it is good to ask God what this exposes in your heart. Is it pride in showing off how much you know? Or how funny you are? Or does it demonstrate that you really don't care much about the person you're talking to? We've all had a relationship where every time we get together with this person, the conversation is almost exclusively about them. Maybe they ask, hey, how you doing? And then somehow they get it back to them. And it's, it's always about their successes or their hardships or what they're thinking about, what they're dealing with in life. Verse 20, I'm, I'm looping verse 20 up here as well. It says, Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. So wisdom says, even in your thoughts, don't curse the king. Right? It, it's not good for that to be in your mind, in your heart. That, that stuff festers in it. It ruins you. And then he says, even in your bedroom, don't talk badly about someone. Don't talk badly about the rich. Because you never know who might overhear you. He says this little bird might be there and fly away and, and share that with someone. We know this is true. If you've lived very long at all, we know. We've got to be careful with our words. Our moms told us when we're little, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. all right, that's very simple wisdom. So we need to be careful with what we say. In this day and age, we need to be careful with what we write. Man, how, many, how many people have posted something that they've later come to regret? Right? One little post on social media can make such a giant mess, so much drama. Verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth a roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. 
and money answers everything. Verse 19 is, is pretty uh, confusing. Um, I, don't, I don't think I laugh much when I eat bread. Um, I doubt you do either. It's tough to know what's going on here. A lot of people think that this is uh, satirical here, that he's linking back up with verse 16, talking about your princes not knowing the proper time to feast. Like they wake up in the morning and they think that's a time for a party. They start drinking at like 10 a.m. Right? They, they, don't, they don't know what they're doing. They're partying and living like an idiot. So, so that could help make a little more sense of 19, that they're just eating, laughing like a fool, drinking. They think that the money they have in their kingdom is going to be enough to solve every single problem. That's one option. The other option is that verse 19 is talking about what a society looks like under good, wise leadership. Right? When there's good, wise leadership, the economy often is thriving in the land. People have enough bread to eat. They have enough to celebrate with some wine. There's stability, which means that each household has enough money to buy the things that they need and, and, and the things that maybe they don't need but that make life a little bit easier, a little bit more comfortable. When those in power rule with wisdom, the people are blessed. The citizens of the land have what they need when leadership is prudent in their decisions, but it doesn't take much foolishness on any level of leadership to ruin much good. It's convicted. First uh, Timothy chapter two. Uh, there's a verse that tells us we're, we're supposed to pray for people in authority, for the king and all those in authority. And I, I so rarely pray uh, for elected officials. I was thinking back, I, I think most of the times this last year I've prayed for, uh, for elected officials has been at some prayer meeting where someone led us in, in praying for our mayor, praying for our government, praying for um, different positions. We are to pray, uh, as Paul told us, for, for people in authority in our land. So the preacher, through all these all these verses, he works hard to hold up wisdom and encourages us to live in wisdom. Even with the limits of wisdom, even though just a little bit of folly can mess up a lot of good, he demonstrates that wisdom is the best tool to help us navigate this broken world. So what is your source of wisdom? Sherry read from 1 Corinthians earlier. I'm going to start in verse 20 says, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You know people that boast that they know that there is no God, that there's no way there's a God. Or, or, or other people that say, okay, if there's a God, we can't know him like the Bible says you can know God. To the world, the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to hear that Jesus had to die for our sin. It's foolishness to the world to hear that we cannot save ourselves. Verse 21, For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. The world's wisdom doesn't get the world to God. In their wisdom, they miss God. The verse goes on, it says, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And, and then Paul writes, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, even a drop of foolishness, if, if God had foolishness, even a drop of foolishness that God has is more powerful than all the wisdom that humanity can muster up. If you don't know Jesus, the wisest thing you can do is to trust in him, to give your life to him. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, it, it makes me think that you're at least considering Jesus, that you're trying to figure out if you want to trust in Jesus, I encourage you to press in. If there's questions you have, if there's um, if there are barriers that are holding you back, I'd encourage you to work through those. Don't just sit around like the snake charmer, because time and chance will get each one of us the wisest thing you can do is trust in Jesus. Christians, what is your source for wisdom? Is it Jesus? Obviously, that's supposed to be the answer, that Jesus is our source, that, that we are actually living daily in Christ. But I wonder, are you predominantly relying on earthly wisdom? Have you had it just on autopilot, maybe for a long time? Maybe it happened and you didn't even realize it. But you're not really depending on God because the road maybe has been so smooth for you, you've forgotten that you need God. Verse 26, continuing verse uh, 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then get this, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let, no, uh, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God made it this way, Christ followers, that you are united with Christ. We're in this union with Jesus, the Jesus follower and, and Jesus himself. Jesus didn't simply save us from sin and then leave us be. He's in us, and Paul tells us that, that he, he's the wisdom of God in us. So is Christ your wisdom, or are you ignoring that wisdom? Are you navigating life on your own wisdom, on your own skills? James tells us if we lack wisdom, just ask God for it. And then in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 17, he gives us a list of what wisdom looks like. So I just want you to hear this list and, and ask yourself, man, are those things in my life? It says this, but the wisdom from God, or sorry, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Uh, are those things in you? Are you living by the wisdom of God? 
Let's pray together and ask God for his wisdom. Jesus, we, uh, we love you, Lord. We're, we're thankful, God, for your word that we can come and read from this book that is living and active that you've given to us so that we can know everything we need to know, that we can know you, Lord, through your word. And Jesus, that's the first thing that I pray. I pray for anyone here who, uh, who does not know you. Lord, I, I pray that they would make the decision to trust the wisest person ever, that they would trust you, Christ. Lord, I, I pray for people that have been coming to church maybe their whole lives and think they know you, have always thought they knew you, but maybe they're realizing that, that they've just been living life on their own and really, they've just been paying you lip service. God, would you save today, Lord? Jesus, for those who do know you, who are trying to follow you, Lord, we confess how often we throw it on autopilot. If, if life isn't bumpy, if there aren't potholes in the road, we're so good at just taking over and doing it ourselves. Lord, would you show us that, God? Would, would, we, want, would we not need hard things in life to remind us that we need you, Jesus. Would we walk in step with you, Jesus? Jesus, would you be the source of, of our living, Lord, the source of our wise living, God, so that we can glorify you, so that we can make much of your name, so that we can speak to this world that thinks it's foolish to believe you. God, will you give us the words to speak so that we can tell this world about you, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen.